Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. 2022 has been a rough year for the technology sector. The tech-heavy Nasdaq Composite Index has plunged 27.9% year-to-date. With rising interest rates and record-setting inflation, a number of large-cap companies missed earnings expectations and laid off thousands of employees. Healthcare, on the other hand, while down around 2% year-to-date, has grown faster than the overall economy and remains attractive to investors. Will the downturn in the tech sector carry over into the new year? And how might healthcare hold up in 2023? Fidelity Equity Research Analysts Max Adelson and Evan Zenel join host Pamela Ritchie today to discuss what investors could expect from healthcare and technology in the months ahead, both in Canada and worldwide. Max and Evan note that Canadian markets year-to-date have been impacted by changes south of the border, and that many of Canada's large healthcare companies make most of their business in the U.S. They'll also look at how cybersecurity is affecting tech, and look at software subscription models, e-commerce trends, and more. This podcast was recorded on November 24th, 2022. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Max, I'll begin with you, if you don't mind, and just have you sketch out a little bit about what you've seen on the macro sense, so the overall story for the tech sector, also for healthcare, just kind of briefly so we can situate ourselves in order to look ahead. Absolutely, Pamela. So my coverage area includes Canadian technology and healthcare, and that encompasses a number of subsectors within both. That includes software, hardware, semiconductors. Um, Within healthcare, it includes biotech, pharma, cannabis, medical devices. And what we've seen in Canada year to date has uh, all been impacted by changes south of the border. And the biggest change we saw in 2022 was the liftoff of interest rates from zero. And right now, the Federal Reserve is chasing interest rates uh, to try to catch inflation. And that's the, the big impact this year. And so what that means is anything where the value is placed far into the future now needs to be discounted back at a higher rate. And therefore, companies with higher near-term cash flows have benefited disproportionately versus companies without near-term cash flows that have more, uh, let's call them maybe science projects that are far into the future. And within technology, all of the various subsectors have components of both. And so uh, it's great to be here with Evan because Evan and I overlap in particular on software. Uh, and all Canadian software companies, if they want to make it big, they have to succeed south of the border, which is where Evan's area of coverage is. So we're going to get into all the details over the next half hour. I'm so excited. Okay, Evan, uh, based on, on what Max has, has already said, a, a little, uh, add a little bit to that. What, what do you look at more specifically? What, what is your job during the day, each day? What are you looking at? Sure. So I cover all of the U.S. software and cybersecurity Uh, stocks for Fidelity. And something that I found that's really interesting is Max pointed out that uh, the duration impact where a lot of these software companies have 
cash flows a lot further in the future. That's impacted heavily when you see rates go up. The other thing that, that we saw specifically in software was COVID-driven adoption acceleration. And so where a lot of companies had to quickly move towards COVID and pivot and figure out how to operate from home, hybrid, or under a different set of circumstances, you really saw tech adoption accelerate. And so people initially in COVID were afraid that this was an event that would stop the adoption of software. In reality, it pulled it forward by somewhere between three to five years. And so that's something that I've seen that's really interesting in software specifically. Okay, so so let me ask both of you, Max, if you don't mind beginning with this, and, and then and then we'll bat it back to you, Evan. It's sort of the role of the CTO, of the of the chief technology officer, right now. Broad statements, but you know what is on their list of things that uh, they'll have to prioritize right now, right? I mean, what is at the top of the list? That that's a tough question, and uh, I think among C-suite members, CTOs tend to have the shortest duration, so it's a very difficult job. It's a very tough thing to get right, and so like Evan said, when the pandemic hit, there were a lot of new tools that companies needed to adopt. Now that things are changing, depending on the industry, uh, leading indicators of growth have deteriorated and they've shifted more towards cost savings initiatives. And that's where we see a little bit more focus from the general CTO community. It's fascinating. Okay, so let's take us down the road a little bit, maybe based on, again, Evan, what, what you see as sort of the CTO's top list of priorities and, you know, any kind of shifts within that, like just trying to get to what kind of things are, are floating to the top in terms of what has to be done going forward and what's already been pulled forward. Um, what you're seeing is under kind of Max's point, you're seeing a, a broader interest in budget reduction or budget growth deceleration. The easiest kind of item on the hit list for a lot of these CTOs is actually outsourced services. So when you have a lot of outside consulting companies looking to bring in new software, they bill a lot, they charge a lot, they put a lot of people on that implementation process. That's some of the lowest hanging fruits for CTOs, but it does slow down the adoption of software. The other major kind of theme that, that I see in the companies I cover is just consolidation of solutions. Whereas you might have adopted the easiest or the best in breed software solution in COVID to stand it up quickly, to have something that works. Now on the CTO's mind, they're thinking a lot more about how can we get a lot of this feature functionality in a best of suite product for cheaper. And that really helps them optimize kind of budget implementation, maintenance. There's a lot of different things that go in their mind there. So those are probably two of the things that, that I see in terms of CEO, CTO considerations today. Max, when, when you, you brought this to my attention when we, we had a chat about a week ago, and, and just sort of, again, the shift that we've seen, I don't know, over the last decade, how, how long has it been? You'll tell us. Um, moving to subscription-based everything versus sort of license-based sales. This, this is a trend that's been going on for some time. Give us a sense of how much of it's done. Is it, there's still a long way to go. Take us into that world a little bit. Yeah, actually, it's funny, Evan and I were talking about that right before the session here, and we were remarking on how in the last major downturn, 08-09, there were very few pure subscription cloud-based uh, software companies. Most were still on the license maintenance model. And that gave us a little bit of a window to what a downturn looks like, what happens to revenues, what happens to billings and bookings. 
but we didn't have that large a sample size because there were very few of them. Now we're much further into that transition. There are very few companies that have yet to embrace the cloud. And there are significant momentum that remains behind that trend. Many corporations are perhaps in their second or third inning of moving their workloads to the cloud. But most technology vendors have already stood up some type of cloud-based offering. And so we were actually debating the element of, well, how, what do these companies look like in a downturn? Because their revenues should be more stable than what they would have looked like under a license maintenance model. And how does the market respond to that? How does the market understand the nature of their business and the embedded value? So it's something that we actually talk about all the time. I'm glad you asked that question. Do you know the answer? <laughs> well, uh, I think we're pretty far along in terms of our uh, embracing of the new model. And uh, I think that anybody who's left that has been a laggard, um, they're not winning any new customers. So we're not likely to see any, uh, we're very far from maybe the pendulum moving backwards, uh, which we'll see if that happens in the future. Okay, that's so interesting. Evan, take us... Oh, sorry, go ahead. One of the things you might see under the current model is before you would buy a license to software up front, three to five years or perpetual and pay maintenance on it. Now, a lot of these software companies actually run the software on their hardware or servers in the cloud. And so because of that, you can't really just use the software on your own heart, on your own servers and just kind of stop paying, you've really got to embrace the like monthly payment, annual payment model. And so I would view it as churn is going to be lower because you don't have that license decision to essentially just not upgrade to the newest software today and instead for a year. So the model has kind of changed a little bit where I think we'll see a little bit more stability in the subscription model versus what we saw in the prior license maintenance model. Fascinating. It's so fascinating to take that. Again, let's let's touch on, and then we'll go to healthcare in just a second. But I, I do want to ask, um, in terms of cybersecurity, I mean, it, it strikes me, and I think I don't know. I think lots of people. You sort of think that is the one thing that people at the top have to be thinking about twenty four seven, and I'm sure it is. But can you just tell us a little bit about the stickiness, the the types of moats that are in the overall cybersecurity space right now? Is there consolidation? I mean, what does that world look like right now? Max, we'll begin with you. Sure thing. So uh, cybersecurity has remained one of the resilient areas of software spend. And often you have companies that have a chief executive, a chief information security officer has responsibility over that, which is distinct from the CTO. And we actually talked about this last time I was on the show of how important this area of spend has become. Uh, it's very much like having a lock on your door. It's just such a necessity and companies are being attacked more and more frequently. So they're having to upgrade to the best, uh, the best product out there. Now, this, you asked about the stickiness and I'd say the stickiness of cybersecurity in general is very high. The architecture of it changes. And so as companies moved workloads to the cloud, they needed to protect them in different ways, which required an upgrade to new vendors who are able to deliver that service. And so we actually saw a very significant change in the leadership within the cybersecurity industry itself. Mm. Evan, anything to add to that? Yeah, I think broadly in cybersecurity, a lot of companies have 
found that they're behind the ball in terms of tech adoption, in terms of cybersecurity posture. And now there's a lot of different stakeholders that are pushing companies to improve their cybersecurity practices. Regulators, boards of directors, customers, insurers, cyber insurance premiums have skyrocketed. And so what you're seeing is that there is this rush to adopt cybersecurity and demand is relatively inelastic because so many companies have, have work to do to improve their posture. At the same time, cybersecurity spend going up can only, can only affect the budget um, uh, so incrementally. And so what you're actually seeing is a lot of customers are desiring a kind of sweet approach in cybersecurity as well. And that's never been how cybersecurity has been bought before. It's always been best of breed. And so just some of the companies that we like most in, in our portfolio or in the stocks that I cover are the ones that can really win in that cybersecurity move towards highly effective products delivered in a suite versus the historical best of breed approach in cybersecurity. Okay, that's so interesting. It's an interesting transition. I'm sure there's a lot more to talk about on, on sort of the, the platform versus best of breed. I, I do want to just bring the healthcare story to to the fore, though, and particularly on the Canadian side of things. Max, you mentioned that probably across most sectors, in fact, all that goes on in the United States obviously is going to affect the industries in Canada. How How is that the same or different in healthcare? I mean, we have a different model in Canada, so it's, it is different. Provinces pay, it's different. Um, but how ultimately do you see, you know, the year to come in terms of investing in healthcare? Well, many of our large healthcare companies uh, make their business actually in the United States. And so looking at the Canadian ones it has to do with their domicile listing, uh, where they have major operations. But for them, they're focused on what the U.S. market looks like. We do have the large cannabis sector who's also looking at the U.S. and trying to figure out how to get into that market effectively. Regulation hasn't changed there in a major way, but there's pressure for more and more states to move to adult use permissibility. And uh, our cannabis companies are looking to take advantage of that. Uh, for the most part, what we see historically in Canada and healthcare is once every five to 10 years, a new company takes the spotlight and they're able to grow significantly, not only in Canada, but also in the United States. And those are the big, tend to be the very big stories. And so here we are always meeting companies in Canada who have these aspirations and want to make it really big. And uh, we're always on the lookout for that next one that has that opportunity south of the border. It's, it's fascinating. The whole, the whole area is fascinating. I mean, is, is it more on sort of the so-called device side, the pharma side? The, I mean, tell us what's, what's pulling ahead within the sector. Yeah, so uh, we speak to the U.S. sector year to date. Uh, some of them considerably on the device side uh, have had considerable margin pressure because they've had input costs go up. And they don't necessarily uh, take pricing very quickly. Does that mean so labor have, when you say input costs? Uh, in, labor is a big one, but freight, uh, raw materials, pretty well everything across the board. And and then they've also got hit with foreign exchange. They report in U.S. dollars. So it's been very difficult for them. Pharmaceuticals have fared a little bit better because they're higher margin. And so they generate more cash flow and they're less sensitive to the changes in the economy. And then... The tools sector, which is the one that serves the early stage biotech companies, has gotten hit because biotech funding has dried up 
in a major way. And therefore, there's just less money available for research as a result of these higher rates. And so uh, how is that how is that going to shift? Well, uh, input cost inflation is not going to last forever. Uh, it's it, uh, at a very high level right now. And so we're watching for when that trend changes. As that trend changes, will probably work to the benefit of some of these companies that have lagged on pricing and have had the margin compression. And as things come out the other side, there's really interesting opportunities there. Evan, let's go back to one of your last comments, which you know was a continuation of a little bit of the cybersecurity discussion, but but just this idea of like described as what what platform will mean. So a company has solutions, maybe they're enterprise solutions, and they would rather stick with that company and bolt on that version of cybersecurity rather than going best of breed. Just just dig into that for us a bit more, and and maybe the opportunities in there, obviously, for companies that provide that. For sure. So the way I think about cybersecurity, there's a lot of different. Uh, compartments to a cybersecurity strategy. Everything from network traffic, so I'm sure some of you work at employers and you've tried to access Twitter or Facebook and you get blocked. A lot of the times that happens through something called a firewall. Um, And so that's network side, one area of cybersecurity. You have endpoints, so think of this as um, your device protection when you run a scan on your PC, that's another area uh, a little pocket of cybersecurity. There's another which is identity. So when you log on to a work computer, that you can access all of the programs logging on once in Windows is another area of cybersecurity called identity. So there's all these different areas of cybersecurity that have been generally um, disparate in the past. So there's been like a specific vendor for network, a specific vendor for identity, a specific vendor for endpoint. And now you're seeing the rise of some vendors that actually can address both network and endpoint and identity well. And what what that's doing is changing the CISO decision, the Chief Information Security Officer, to one of, do I want these disparate solutions to try and put them together and pay a high price for each? Or does it really make sense to get all of these cybersecurity software assets from the same vendor, have them integrate better and pay less? at the potential expense of your endpoint vendor or your network vendor might not actually be best in breed in this new world, but is it good enough? And those are the trade-offs and decisions the CISOs are really trying to make. Kevin, can I ask you, has application performance uh, monitoring management, is that another area that's leaked into the cybersecurity space? You are seeing it a little bit in the logging. So when you think about it, a lot of companies run what are called security operations center, which is a bunch of people kind of sitting in a room evaluating what's happening to a company's cybersecurity uh, with event detection. And so where you've seen some of this APM and logging blend over is there are billions of cybersecurity events every day that you have to track and filter through which are the ones that are important, which ones do we need to address. So you're starting to see that convergence of some other layers of software come in to address security challenges like how do we find the important three events from a set of five billion in a day. Oh my goodness, I'm glad there's software for that. Okay, that's fascinating. Max, um, this is a big question. Does e-commerce still work in 2023? And this is obviously from the investment side of things, but I mean, we're kind of out and about at this stage. What's what's the role there for e-commerce? Has it changed? Yeah, e-commerce has been this growth sector for 20 years, uh, ever since the emergence of Amazon selling books over the internet. And uh, 
unfortunately, it's been a very difficult sector for a lot of companies to generate profits, and at least on a sustainable basis. What we do know is there's a lot of demand in that area. So e-commerce represents about 15 to 20 percent of retail sales uh, in North America. It represents about 40 percent of retail sales in China. And that's considered perhaps the aspirational level, the high bar of where we get to. Uh, but it goes in waves. It's not necessarily a straight line of adoption. And one of the things that was a big benefit to e-commerce was targeted ads online. If we follow the advertising market, you can see that ads on uh, some of these search engines were way more effective than placing a billboard ad or a radio ad or even a TV ad because they could target users. They knew a lot about them. Uh, and knowing about the user means they're more likely to place an ad on something I might buy. Therefore, the ad is more valuable. So ad tech increased the size of the advertising market itself. Now that there's a retrenchment in a consumer spending, that's one area of pressure. And the second area of pressure is the privacy changes that were implemented on iOS, where we could not track where the user was going. Uh, and the majority of users opt out of app tracking, which means that it, it's much more difficult for a social media platform to deliver me a targeted ad on something I'm likely to buy, which creates uncertainty for the e-commerce sector in general. That's absolutely fascinating. Okay, there's lots of questions rolling in, so let's let's head um, to some of those. So one of them is, could this may go to either of you, but we'll put it out there. Could some of these software applications or other innovations spur a new hardware upgrade cycle? Some companies do both, as we know well. But uh, how would you answer that question? Maybe, maybe we'll go to you first, Evan, and then Max. I think what you're seeing is you you had a large hardware supercycle at the beginning of COVID where a lot of companies had to deliver devices to their employees, had to change their posture. And I think in, in what I'm seeing in a lot of my stocks is you're kind of going through a little bit of a hangover from that hard hardware procurement up front, except for a few sectors that, that had supply chain issues. So an example is firewall, where you couldn't get, um, you couldn't get essentially the chips you needed to create hardware firewalls um, just because of high demand for chips across other areas. And now you're starting to see that supply chain ease. So you could see volumes in a few specific areas that were supply chain affected increase. But more broadly, I think um, we might be past the peak of the hardware demand cycle for now. Okay, Any, anything to add on that, Max? Yeah, I think question. in particular, some elements like PC has been particularly weak. Um, yeah. Mobile is getting a little bit weaker. Then there are other areas where there's just been such a shortage that demand has been relatively resilient. Some industrial applications, uh, certainly the automotive sector continues to demand a lot of components, We're still at below normalized levels of auto production and demand still exceeds supply. And so uh, for a lot of these tech vendors, in a normal downturn such as what we've had, they would have had significant demand weakness and um, order cancellations. And we've been talking to companies and they said, Oh, our order cancellations are minimal because there's such a huge backlog. That's very unique. That hasn't happened. Uh, it's been a long time since we've seen something like that. Okay, here's a question. I'm going to start with sort of the end of the question first. So the overall question is, overall within the tech sector, are you, are you looking at sort of the more value-oriented 
within the tech sector. And the question also says, you know, when you speak to companies uh, that are in some of these areas that you're looking at when you're assessing them in this environment, valuations, earnings, cash on hand, and so on, are you tilting sort of to the more so-called value within the bigger group? I'd love to start with that, if you don't mind, Evan, because we, we talk about that all the time. And one of the biggest areas of focus for us is what value does the software actually add to the customer? Because it can be very difficult to understand the value proposition of software and the ROI it's driving should correlate ultimately to uh, the value that a company is able to extract over time, the software vendor themselves. And that connects to the second component that we talk about all the time, which is stickiness of the software. And so it can be really difficult to determine there's when a company is growing really quickly, it's probably because their value of the product they're delivering is high but it, not, it doesn't necessarily have to be the case. And so we're always driving towards who is adding the most value to their customers. Those should be the most sustainable businesses over time. And in, my, in my space, what I'm really seeing, I'm seeing opportunity across both, you know, what I would characterize as value and growth. You're seeing some value names that people are just too negative on and just kind of throw out with all of the other names that will be particularly impacted or just uh, write off the future of some of those value assets. And you're also seeing the same thing in some of the higher growth assets I cover. There's lots of debates around duration and the proper multiple and stock-based compensation, but I'm actually, what's, what's most exciting is I'm seeing opportunity across both value and growth investments because people are kind of projecting negative sentiment or things are too bad for too long. What is the structural opportunity for sort of software at this point, Max? I mean, I think that goes back to the, what's it, Andreessen says the software is eating the world. I mean, we've continually deployed more and more and more software in our lives. I mean, just think about something as simple as going from a mobile phone that was analog to digital to smartphone, that's the internet in your the palm of your hand, you're gonna deploy a lot more software through the applications that you're using. And one of the ways that we gain efficiency over time is through automation, which is provided in large part by software. So uh, it's a structural opportunity. This is something that will last for decades. There's just a lot of cyclicality around it. For instance, what we talked about with the COVID pandemic and how that impacted demand. There's a general business cycle. Uh, when companies have less capital, they're simply going to spend less and they're they're going to push those adoption cycles out. So we're always we're always cognizant that the the adoption will continue. It's just sometimes the, the line, the curve is a little hard to nail down. And Evan, just just sort of take us back to you you've said it a couple of times, but just and it's actually I think Max's term like you know, going from sort of atoms to in fact the actual what we're what we're dealing with in terms of software i mean software versus hardware the story fluctuates back and forth things move forward and move backwards but i guess what is the overall sort of structural transition that we're watching here for sure so a lot of people characterize it as bits versus atoms right and so when you're dealing with software you're dealing in bits it's a lot easier to iterate to work with them to improve efficiency with uh, code on a screen versus a logistics supply chain or retail locations. 
And so one of the things that you see in software is you can iterate so much quicker. It's very efficient. It enables people to do more with less or just improve kind of their own time, how their time is spent. And so that's kind of the secular trend that, that you know, we are really bullish on. Think of all the data that's used to optimize a user experience in a piece of software or maybe a social media platform you use or even kind of the way you use an app on your phone. That, those are all things that kind of improve the customer outcome and I think drive a lot of value. And just that ease of iteration is really important when you think about software and adoption and the opportunity. Max, we'll close out with healthcare. Just want to know what you think the biggest thing to watch over the next, you know, even 12 to 18 months in healthcare. Sorry, did I say software? I meant healthcare. In healthcare over, you know, the next year ahead. What, what should we be watching carefully? Maybe it's something you've already said. I think you always got to be keeping your eye on U.S. regulation when it comes to healthcare because uh, U.S. regulators it's are always keyed in on this issue. Healthcare is a percentage of GDP, as you mentioned at the start just goes up over time. And it's something that uh, it should happen in a society like ours that is aging to some extent, that that's very natural, but it's a lightning rod issue because uh, to some extent, certainly in Canada, we, we have this belief of everyone has a right to healthcare. And in the United States, there's Medicaid and Medicare, which are very significant government sponsored programs. And so how the, how at large we allocate our resources to get the best outcomes in in healthcare is something that's often determined in Washington. And so uh, we certainly are really careful around the political changes and who might, for instance, regulate drug pricing a lot closer uh, or get involved in some of the existing uh, government sponsored programs. Um, But that's a very, it's a very complicated issue um, and quite partisan on both sides, unfortunately. It does help when you watch the headlines, though, for the overall sector. Max and Evan, it's been a delight to speak with you both. Thank you very much for sharing your insight. Thank you for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. For more information on future live webcasts, please visit fidelity.ca. Don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice.